0: Welcome to the Bootstrap Experience podcast, where Jack and I are talking all things apps and bootstrapping. How
1: are you? Good, good. How about you? How's your week been? Yeah,
0: it's been good. Yeah, it's been really nice. Actually, uh, feels like I've got a lot done again, which is amazing. So he's good. Yeah, I think it also been quite motivating to have my wife on the team and we're sort of you know chatting about work and getting a bit excited about stuff and having time for things that we haven't had time for a long time. So it's been really good for my motivation.
1: Are you working on AppKit mostly now or are you, with your wife on the team, are you moving to other stuff?
0: We're looking a lot at brand and marketing at the moment. So AppKit continues to be developed by Arjun and we have daily conversations about that and how it's going and helping out with any blockers or clarification and looking at a review and code and things like that. We've been actually focusing a lot around brand. Our strategy or at least our task at the moment is to sort of refine what we already have and take an audit of where we are and then get the base in order before we move on with a bunch of new stuff. So really just sort of defining right, we want to build a new website so we can update it more easily going forward. But at the same time, okay, do are we happy with the colors we're using? What about fonts and all that type of stuff? And then she's doing an actual brand guidelines now. Which I've never had, and it's going to be great.
1: Yeah, it's awesome.
0: Yeah, it's been really good just to sort of sit down and writing out what's our mission and what's our vision and what are our our main sort of key points that we stand for and making it a lot more concrete than it's ever been. So, yeah, we spent a lot of the week talking about that and working it all out. And and she's put together a pretty cool uh, guidelines. So, we just went over sort of the almost finished product today, which has been good.
1: And so, is this to prepare to move to like new marketing channels or just like reinforce what you already have?
0: Yeah, I think both. And because we're sort of looking to maybe get help on writing articles or speeding things up by using external agencies or something to help us with things, I think it makes a lot of sense to have a really good fundamental. That we know the brand ourselves and we also have something that we can give to them so they know exactly what we're after and what our voice is and what our tone is and what our aspirations are and so forth. So I think it makes a lot of sense to do that now before we jump into a lot of other stuff.
1: So you're thinking about doing more content marketing or is it specifically for like SEO?
0: Both I think, but content marketing is definitely a big one that we're going to get into later in the year, I think.
1: Content marketing always kind of eluded me because I could get the articles either done by myself or someone else, and then I didn't know what to do with them. And my promotion skills for content were just terrible. I think it's so valuable if you know what you're doing, and I could never quite crack that part of it.
0: That's never been my strong point either. You know, A lot of it is also about ranking better and you know, SEO and putting out good articles, of course, that people get value from, but then looking at that as another channel to attract people to our website and to our apps. So, really looking at it from more a strategic thing and then thinking, hey, what have I got on my chest sort of to get to write out, which isn't how I work at the moment anyway with writing content.
1: Are you going to try to bring more people through your main website? Because I know we've talked about that before, like bringing them to your main website versus just to the Shopify app pages. And that's something I've struggled with too. Where do I send people basically?
0: I struggle with that as well. And I, I think just the more authority I can sort of give to our website and the more backlinks and obviously the more organic search we can turn up in, the better it's going to be in the long run. And so it's like a long-term play, I guess you could say, because the beauty of articles, I think, is that they continue to reap rewards over time, right? So it's not like a, an ad campaign where it only gives you something while you pay for it. So I think there's a lot of upfront work, but then getting more people to our website, but the primary goal, of course, is just to get as many people in the app store, but then also to have this as sort of a secondary channel, I guess you could say.
1: Yeah, it's tough, right? Because you're almost competing with your own Shopify page and things that they've written about you because they have awesome SEO. Unfortunately, my website doesn't even rank on the first page when you search my app name because uh, all this Shopify stuff comes up. <laughs> and I know I should be doing a better job there, but you know, as long as people are hitting the app page up to this point, I've been kind of happy.
0: And I think that's fine. As long as they find your Shopify app store page, then, yeah. then I think it's great that Shopify ranks so well for those pages because... I think also from a trust perspective, people are more likely to convert if they go through the Shopify app store. They're used to installing apps that way. They're used to sort of comparing apps and so forth.
1: You get in this weird sort of thing where you're not owning your own platform, I guess. Like it would be nice if people knew to go to your website to find out about cool Shopify apps or whatever. Uh, And they trust you rather than just trusting Shopify. Because if something ever happened with Shopify or you wanted to expand new platforms, whatever, like that audience goes still with Shopify instead of with you.
0: Yeah, definitely. But I think on the flip side, we get so much free traffic in a sense. So I think the cons outweighed by all the pros that you get with it. Yeah, you'll never own your main marketing channel, I guess you could say. But I think that's fine. It's always going to be larger than my website anyway.
1: Yeah and i never worried too much about like being off of shopify i guess my bigger concern not that I, cuz i don't think anything's going to happen with shopify i don't think they're going to release their own ab testing app or anything like that like i'm not too worried about that but what i do worry about is say a competitor starts overtaking me in the rankings or things like that and now all of a sudden things that i depend on Google organic search for it, taking them to my app page now, another app's app page is coming up ahead of mine and things like that. That's where I get a little worried. Whereas if I had like a lot of organic search going to my website, I'd be in better shape if something like that happened.
0: I've actually been seeing that over the last sort of month, I guess you could say, where there is a competitor that's been doing really well and just been spitting out apps. So they've got maybe like 10 different apps in the app store now, but they've done very well with getting good reviews and obviously getting a lot of installs. So I am sort of seeing that balance of where I'm no longer number one, maybe in, in, my, in that category. And I'm not sure if it's related, but this month I've found it really hard to sort of grow installs. But it's been across the board on all the apps, so it seems to be some general change here in March, I think. I'm not 100% sure where it's coming from, but I thought maybe it's because of this competitive moving in, but it's also impacting the other apps, which doesn't <laughs> make as much sense. Yeah,
1: I was going to say, I've been in the same last 30 days or so, actually, where just, yeah, installs have slowed down a bit. I think in my case, my theory was, and maybe, I don't know, I'd be curious if other people are experiencing it too, because my theory was that I had to pause my ads temporarily. So I don't know how much that's affected things.
0: I had the same for a short amount of time, and that definitely, how would you say, it was just picking up the slack, I guess you could say, so I was still getting a, a small amount of installs. And now I've sort of turned up the ad budget on a couple of the apps, and I think that's what's sort of saving me at the moment. But it's been really weird because it's generally been pretty steady. And if you look at the graphs in the Shopify dashboard where you can see you know, your install rate or your merchant growth, and it's generally been sort of trending upwards at a pretty similar pace over the last year sort of thing with a couple of slower periods and a couple of crazier periods. But most of the time it's had a pretty good sort of upward and to the right trend. But then this month, yeah, they've all sort of a bit flat. It always makes me worried when I see stuff like that. Google released some type of search update here on the 2nd and 3rd of March, which kind of coincides with it. But I <laughs> can't see how that's going to have a big impact on App Store traffic, unless, of course, Shopify is seeing less traffic as well. Yeah,
1: I don't know. That'd be. I can't imagine. I think they'd have to be seeing a lot less traffic for it to trickle down to people like us.
0: Well, I always feel like when Shopify is doing a lot of marketing, then the App Store is a lot more activity in the App Store at the same time. So I think at least what I've been able to you know, determined by my own sort of gut feelings and by watching it over a long time. It does seem to have a pretty big impact on, on what Shopify is up to. And maybe there's, I don't know if there's been some holidays in the US as well, right? Uh, maybe. is not there been a public holiday?
1: I don't know. I don't even notice these things. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, that's totally fine. Could be. I've just put it out on Twitter to say, hey, anyone else seeing this or is it just me?
1: Actually, I should tell you, this morning I finally got set up with Partner Metrics. Very cool. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Specifically, I was after some better churn metrics than without doing all that work to get churn from Shopify. So I figured I'd see what you did there much better than what I had.
0: Nice, yeah. And churn's always the really hard one. I think I've talked about that on an earlier episode. Churn's the tough one, just working on the on the payment data, but it works really well and it's accurate enough, I guess you could say, for our, our needs. It might be off by one or two
1: I've been really struggling to find time to work on translation stuff, Translate CI. And I got to say, after our conversations, I've been looking more into the idea of doing like a translation app for Shopify. I don't know why you talking about it didn't scare me off. It probably should have. I've been thinking about maybe getting like an agency to help me push this over the finish line which I'm not totally sure how to do. I've never worked with an agency before, like a development agency. I'm looking for like offshore type stuff. I took out a couple of ads on Upwork, specifically sort of looking for agencies that do it all. And we'll see, like I have an appointment tomorrow with one to discuss. They've done some Shopify apps. What's weird though, it's really hard to vet these guys because I've definitely had people send me portfolios that were just like, oh, here's the five apps I did. And they're like the top five apps on Shopify made by companies that I know did not outsource them. Yeah, it's definitely hard to vet. I guess the other big thing is like I've been writing like big functional specifications for everything I have left outstanding. I will have to obviously spend time like project management type stuff, we'll see. I mean, I know you outsourced your first app. I'd be curious to hear like how you did that, how you found the people, how
0: it went. Yeah, so that's a while ago now, but it was Audley Print was originally built by a team in India. It was a team that focused on building Ruby on Rails apps, which is, you know I specifically went looking for that skill because that's what Shopify had and that's what most of their documentation was sort of referencing. And I thought, okay, that makes sense to build it in this. I didn't go on Fiverr or any of these kind of crowding sites, and I don't think a lot of them existed back then. But I remember just going through Google, basically, and and trying to find Ruby on Rails developers in India or whatever. And what I was really looking for was, one, it was an agency with a team. I was putting, at the time, a lot of my savings into the first app, so I really wanted to get something good out of it, and I couldn't sort of rely on a single person. Or I didn't want to because of the extra risk in somebody getting sick or, or whatever. So I went specifically for a team, where if one person was going to be off for a month, then they could put somebody else on the on the project. I guess my main criteria was looking at their own website. Like if they don't put love and attention into their own website, then I wouldn't expect them to put love and attention into my product either. So just sort of evaluating their website was a big part of it and looking at, okay, do these people actually look like they care? Or does the website look like it was made 10 years ago sort of thing? Obviously looking at price and that's sometimes hard to get up front. And one of the people that I ended up choosing was called idyllic software. Yeah, they were just really good communicators and on top they understood what I was sort of looking to do and then they were able to do it for a fixed fee. And then eventually we moved over to like an hourly base price or whatever for maintenance work or for new features and things like that. Nice. But that was really good, yeah, to to do it. Because then I knew okay, I'm gonna get a finished product. They just communicated very well and then like you're saying, you have done requirements and I think that was probably the main thing that I did well at that time because that was also my job at the investment bank I worked for. So putting into lots of time into actually getting the requirements right before sending it to them. And I think that's like one of the key things to have a good experience at least because if you don't tell them what you want, then they're not going to be able to give it to you. So you have to just be as detailed and specific as you can. But yeah, it actually worked out really well, and I had a relationship with them for years. Eventually I got sort of sick of sending them all my money, so (laughs) I decided to to learn to code myself. I would still consider doing it if I wanted to do a one-off project or something. I have some in-house resources, so I'm not looking to do that anymore, but it's still definitely a viable option.
1: And my background, I was a product manager before I went full-time on EDB testing, so I guess kind of picking someone is a tough part. And so you didn't code back then, so you weren't able to like audit their code or anything as it was coming in, were you?
0: And I didn't even know how to sort of go check where the code was and so forth to begin with. They kind of guided me and they said, "Hey, we're going to use this GitHub, and well, you can go here to find your source code and so forth." And they shared the account, or they asked me to create the account so that they could get access to it and so forth. So they sort of guided me through the process and and i learned a lot just by following how they were building it i couldn't vet them in that sense not on a technical level luckily they seem to build a good product with very few issues to begin with
1: and i feel like in some ways like i shouldn't worry about it too too much because i know these are professional agencies they want to do a good job obviously if they do a bad job they don't want that on their record basically so i mean i feel like as long as they have Decent credentials. They've been doing this for a while. Maybe I just shouldn't worry about it too much. But it's definitely a little, it's a little nerve wracking.
0: I guess it depends what the investment is you're going to be putting into it, or whether you have something smaller that you can give to them first to see how they tackle it. Hey, can you guys build out this one feature in what you have already, just to sort of test the waters and see how that goes?
1: That is definitely an option. I mean, I know, and that's kind of usually been my take when hiring from like Upwork or Fiverr or any of those. It's like, like, like for example, like this podcast I sent. A 10 minute clip to 10 different people, and we pick the one yeah. we like the best. That's kind of nice to do a bunch of those little paid projects that don't cost too much money and bet them that way. So that, that's definitely always an option.
0: I'm not sure if the bigger agencies are interested in that or.
1: Yeah, maybe even just doing like one, two week sprint with them or something like that. The understanding of this is a slightly probationary.
0: Yeah. And I think also another good way to sort of check which ones are generally better than others is to see if they're sort of keeping up with technology or if they're hanging on to some process that they've been doing for years. Obviously you shouldn't jump on every bandwagon that comes along, right? But I think live wire <laughs> and, you know, hot wire in, in the Rails world now, they're kind of here to stay sort of thing and are becoming a, a more integral part of these frameworks. So
1: Yeah, I get bored and jump on whatever bandwagon's popular whenever I start doing a new project, so I don't even mind if they're doing that.
0: But I think it's a good sign if they're more keen on keeping up with technology, at least.
1: For sure, yeah. I just posted on Upwork, I should probably get on Google. I feel like it's a good sign, too. I mean, this is a small thing, but like I feel like it's a good sign if you can show up on the first page of Google for something like that, because again, it shows you're putting time into your business and and effort and you're doing something right, versus just seeing an ad on Upwork or whatever.
0: Uh, There's a lot less effort to be found on Upwork. Uh, I don't know, I've just had a bad experience with those type of sites sometimes where people say that they're doing work or whatever, and, and they've just got some automated thing clicking the keyboard every now and then, and they're saying, "Oh, I did you know five hours today," and they haven't produced anything.
1: Thankfully, like, and I've always just done. This is the first larger project I've looked at for something like this, but I've done a lot of like small two to eight hour projects through like Upwork and Fiverr, and I've always had thankfully, really good experiences.
0: It depends how much time you spend vetting them, I guess, and and trying them out, and and what you're giving them as well, I think makes a big difference.
1: My favorite is just like the explainer video I have on the app page. Uh, That was like a Fiverr job that I'm so happy with.
0: Yeah, uh, definitely. I guess that's also what they're counting on, right? If you enjoy them, you come back to them if you need it again, and so forth. But it's funny what you're saying about getting out your old product manager hat. I've been going through the same process with Arjun and I went in with it not giving enough information on the earlier stories and stuff but now I've sort of got back into my rhythm of doing things properly right, right. describing them down in detail and doing better uh, wireframes or mockups and things for him because it's super hard to just understand what I'm thinking in my head right without me actually communicating it as clearly as I should so it's been fun to get back into that as well.
1: It's crazy like the thing I kind of forgot about that I've been sort of remembering this because I'm getting into this is just like how much as a developer you just assume when you're writing things like this you need to get out of that mindset and really like don't just you know you can't just say forgot password flow
0: yeah exactly and the ideas that I have in my head are, are usually pretty specific you know I yeah. want things, <laughs> yeah, and that's maybe me being not a control freak but you know like I like to provide the experience that I've thought up in my head Like, Say if I feel like this is the easiest way or this is going to be the best experience, that's what I'd like the app to do sort of thing. And for that to happen, I need to describe it as well, right? People do have different ways of doing things.
1: One thing that's been really cool about writing the spec is like there were sort of pieces of the app and things like that that were going to come later that it's forced me to think through and realize I had some... Dead ends almost in the UX, like that I had in my head for the app, like things that weren't really going to work well or were going to affect a lot of other parts of the app. So just actually planning it all out ahead of times with wireframes and having it fully fleshed out in my head, rather than as I'm developing it. Even if I was going to do this myself, it would have saved a lot of time. Uh, I should probably get back in the habit of doing something like maybe an abbreviated process for myself. But yeah, definitely thinking through the whole thing
0: first. No, I totally agree. It's so important to save yourself the headache and the time of redoing things because you didn't think it all the way through before you start uh, developing and and everything else.
1: Yeah, like a huge thing I just never thought of, which is crazy, is what happens when you want to add a new language for your app? Like did not have that area in the app at all. How have I been working on this for six months and never thought of that? And it's like pretty easy to do, but it's just hadn't come into my head. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, it's got to be there somewhere. Yeah. What, do you use any special tools when you're designing these things out then, or what are you are you just doing sort of rough sketches and things?
1: Yeah, I try to use Figma because everyone loves Figma, and I'm not smart enough to use it. So I went back to Balsamic.
0: I love it. It is super. If you're not using the Polaris design system, uh, yeah. I'd probably go back to Balsamic as well, right? But now that the, the Polaris design system is there, it, it's so easy to just build it in, in Figma. And I'm getting the hang of Figma and the whole components and stuff like that, so...
1: I mean, I've got a decent UX background. I don't have really a design background. I kind of thought about it and thought it would be better for me to wireframe this and let an actual designer do that Figma part of it with Polaris or, or whatever.
0: I think that's probably one thing that you should also ask anyone that you're looking to maybe hire this out to would be to see if they have like designers on the team as well because that was one of the cool things where When I was designing my first app, I only had the wireframes, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I'd sort of sort of laid it out, but then they came back to me with a PSD sort of or Photoshop uh, files of, hey, we suggest this kind of layout or in these colors, and they did a lot of the actual UI design of it.
1: Yeah, because I'm kind of thinking, you know, a designer definitely, and depending on how they want to do it, you know, a front end developer and a back end developer or or whatever. But yeah, designer, I mean, I I need that because I suck at design. Even with Polaris, I'm not very good at it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah. And it's amazing what a good designer can do, like to elevate something, right?
1: I saw this really cool tool this week. So I always use Tailwind. I've been using that for a couple of years for my mm-hmm. CSS. It's like a CSS framework. And there's a new tool that came out called Windy, which is awesome if you're dealing with Polaris, because Polaris doesn't have Tailwind components. It's either React or like those super long HTML components. I don't know if you ever looked at those, but every element has like 60 classes on it and stuff. Yeah. So this thing. Just to give an example of like an alert badge in Polaris, for example, you can just hover your mouse over the element, and it will give you the full Tailwind markup for it.
0: You paste uh, it basically huh.
1: converts any HTML element in any framework, any CSS, whatever into Tailwind.
0: Yeah. that's cool. Tools like that, it's amazing that people sort of sit down and spend the time to build them out.
1: I'm assuming it's a th-
0: free tool, right? Or
1: no, it's paid. He's done a bunch of tools in the last couple of years, and I think he's. Made it like a full time career. Like at this point, they're almost an auto buy for me because even like the one was called Tinkerwell, which I didn't really see the use in it in the yeah, beginning. Yeah. And then I just decided to try it. And now, like, I can't develop without it. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah,
0: sure. It's fun when you find good little gems like that.
1: Yeah, it is cool.
0: I finally got to orderly print to have multiple pricing tiers this week. Oh, nice. Which I've been putting off forever. I'm not sure why, but I've always just had one plan. Yeah, and so I finally spent time designing the new sort of pricing page, offering three plans now, instead of one with a certain amount of orders per plan.
1: Has that gone live?
0: day before yesterday. And I've actually got some signups on one of the new plans. Because first, I sort of go, oh, well, hey, I want one plan, $29 for up to 1,000 orders a month. Mm-hmm. The next one I put at like $49 for up to 3,000 orders a month. And the last one is $99 for up to 10,000 orders a month. Mm-hmm. And the point of the app is like to help high volume stores. So the limits are pretty quite high. Most people will fall into the lower one. And then I thought, oh, well, am I just picking these numbers out of a hat? Where should these limits for the different plans be? I've been smart enough to do like a 30 day order count on all accounts. Mm-hmm. So just doing like bang, how many orders do you have per 30 day sort of thing and keeping that number up to date. So I was able to export that to a CSV and then just do like a histogram on it so I could see how many fall into each sort of category and and move it around. And yeah, that that seemed to be worked out. So I'd say like 80% end up in the the cheapest plan and then 10% in the middle one and then 10% or maybe 5% in, in the higher one. But a surprisingly high number of stores that have in the last column of the highest amount, that was a lot higher than the previous ones. So there seems to be... A high number of stores with really high order counts.
1: What do you do if they have over 10,000 orders? You said the last plan was up to 10,000 orders.
0: Then I'd just have like a contact us sort of thing. Gotcha. Um, I was also considering just doing that one unlimited, but I've learned that using the word unlimited isn't smart when working with pricing because you can always, you know, if somebody comes in and they have 100,000 orders a month or something, probably very unlikely, but say they have like Mm 20,000, then we could set up a custom plan for them or whatever.
1: Yeah, I have this problem because my top tier is unlimited. It's for people with over 2,500 orders a month. And when a store comes in and does 60,000 orders a month, which I've definitely had, like I probably lose money on them in the end. Hosting and every, the extra resources they're consuming.
0: And that's kind of what I learned from that is because I've always enjoyed having like, oh, well, you don't have to think about it, it's unlimited. But then you do have these giant ones that come in and, and not that they abuse it, you've given them the plan, right? But just the fact that they do take up a disproportionately large amount of your resources, then I think it's always good to have that sort of card to come back to them and say, hey, we can see you're a really large store and we'd like to move you to this custom plan and you can negotiate something that works yeah. for the both of you, right?
1: There's uh, one particular shop that reminded me they do flash sales like once a month and they usually run tests during this time. And when they ran one last week, the RDS, the database instance I use in Amazon, mm-hmm. had to quadruple in size over the course of like a couple hours to handle all the, because they do around 100,000 orders a month, but they tend to do that in a 24 hour period. Yeah, wow. And it's just, it's brutal. Yeah. <laughs> so every every month, like I just have to know this is coming and, and deal with it.
0: Do you just have to be sort of ready for it and then scale up during that time or?
1: It scales automatically now. AWS, okay. like my AWS setup is really nice, but like, yeah. I mean, they're paying $99 a month. They probably, I wouldn't be surprised if they contribute hundred dollars for my hosting bill.
0: I guess those are the kind of ones that if you did reach out to them and say, Hey, we shouldn't renegotiate this because and I guess the thing is, do you have like a little asterisk saying hey, fair use policy or something like that? I know a lot of yeah. apps that do say they have it unlimited, they generally have something somewhere saying, Hey, if we do find that it's unproportional, like large amount, then we can get in contact with you to negotiate pricing.
1: It's a good idea. I should probably add that.
0: <laughs> it's just been for me, at least, adding these extra pricing tiers. It just felt like I was leaving money on the table by not taking advantage of that. Some stores are able to pay a higher price, and it's just stupid to have one plan because not everybody fits on one plan, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. But one of the selling points in the past was, hey, you just install it. You've got unlimited. The more it is you have, the more value you get out of the app. But they'll still get just as much value just for a slightly higher price.
1: I guess that's the trick too, is like figuring out, and this is something I feel like I haven't necessarily done a great job with, but just figuring out, putting a dollar value on what you're adding to their revenue or saving them each month and kind of pricing based on that. Yeah. Um, Because for a store, just thinking of A-B testing, like for a store that is doing 10,000 orders a month, like a 1% improvement could easily be... 10 to $50,000 extra revenue a month, and I'm charging $99. Like they don't care. And they probably, if they saw that result, they probably wouldn't care if it was three or five times that price, you know?
0: Yeah, I think it all depends on the type of value you're bringing to these merchants. And I think also apps that are more of a vitamin than a painkiller, you know, I think I'd say I put yours in the vitamin category where you can actually earn them more revenue, right? Yep. Whereas mine are, are solving pains and helping them be more efficient, but it's not generating money for them in the same way. But I think, yeah, apps like uh, Vitamins, they generally have a, an easier time with a higher pricing because it's easy to show that the value that you're bringing to them, right?
1: Yeah, I guess that makes sense. The issue is you, you still, especially with A-B testing, like you kind of have to prove that value to them, I think, before they're really willing to pay like a premium just because a lot of them aren't super familiar with A-B testing and don't have a clear idea of what they can do with it.
0: I think, again, it comes also back to this of Not daring to charge what you should sometimes, Uh, at least for myself as a one man crew, I guess, I was always thinking, well, you know, will people actually pay this much or is it worth this much? Whereas other companies are like, yeah, of course it's, you know, you should put a higher price on it. You know, double your price is always here all the time, right?
1: (laughs) It seems crazy to me. Just all that double your price stuff you see. I get it. Yeah, like, sure, it'd be nice, but
0: I don't know. I found though the times that I did like calculated. Um, increases to my prices to sort of test the waters and stuff. It always turned out to be worth it. Generally, the advice was good advice for me where I should be charging more.
1: Yeah, to be fair, I haven't changed my pricing in like three years. It probably would not be a bad idea to revisit that at some point soon.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think my next experiment is going to be with this whole yearly charging for instead of one time fees. And I think it's just because, yeah, like we've been talking about in the past is. You'd still be able to use the what you've purchased as a one-time purchase if you want to, but if you want to come back after you and update things, you should still pay again, sort of thing.
1: Oh, so these are yearly fees for your one-time purchase apps?
0: Yeah, instead sort of a one-time purchase, do it as a yearly fee. I think um, that's great. Yeah, I'll have to test it out. I think that one's going to be tougher to do, because here I'm not changing the price on anyone, the existing customers are grandfathered into the existing plan. It's easier to say, like if you've got three thousand orders, you can pay fifty dollars a month sort of thing for this this tool, whereas I think with something that was a one time or could be a one time fee, adding something that does become slightly re- you know recurring, even if it's just after once a year sort of thing, then they'll calculate in a monthly cost all of a sudden I think
1: right, yeah, that makes sense. but I think having the option I think having the option to not renew and just stop getting updates is good enough for me to. Not really worry about it. Yeah, if I decide I don't like it after a few months, I'll probably just cancel my recurring billing and keep it where I'm at.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think the way I'd do it is I'd never stop them from exporting the latest code. So maybe they couldn't go in and edit the design, but they could always export if I make a change to the app or improve something. So say something's displaying weirdly in Outlook, and we do an update to the designs to fix that issue in Outlook. Then they should always be able to get that code, I think, for their emails. So they'd always be able to get like the latest version, but just not make changes to it. That makes sense. Another thing I've been digging into this week was the App Store analytics. I'm not sure if you've tried it, but uh, Daniel Sim, who I worked with on Partner Metrics, who has helped me on Partner Metrics as well, has built this cool tool called Shopify App Store Analytics. Okay, it's pretty clever actually, because it's it's like a layer on top of your Google Analytics, which then extracts all the Shopify App Store specific. UTM, like Shopify, puts in these search terms that were used in the App Store. What type of display was it organic or was it a, a paid search ad that they clicked on? And all this feeds through to your Google Analytics if you've added it in the App Store. And so he's built this tool where you, it'll just really simplify seeing all that data for each of your apps. And then at the same time, you can also track your App Store listing. So if you make changes to that, he actually shows you like a diff, but then you can also tell it what keywords that you're looking to rank on, and it will tell you if your position has improved based on the changes that you've made. So it's a really good way of making calculated App Store optimizations, I guess you could say. Mm. So if you're looking to rank on a particular keyword and you change the text of your App Store listing to try and rank for that one better, is it actually working? Then it can actually answer that question. So I've been digging into that, especially because I've been seeing um, numbers sort of A bit shaky this month, so I thought, okay, I better start taking a deeper look at these things. And it's been really, really helpful.
1: I remember like exporting stuff from Google Analytics and trying to deal with like those UTM parameters in Excel to try to extract everything was a nightmare. That tool sounds awesome. I'll definitely check it out.
0: I highly recommend it. And the fun part is you can actually also do it for all your competitors. So you're constant scraping daily of, of all the App Store listings. So he's able to do like a diff on all of them, so you can see what your competitors are changing in the App Store listing. You can get an email when they change something so you can have a look at it. And I think the pricing's fair for what you get out of it. It's been a thing that I've had installed for quite a while but I haven't put too much time into it. And then this week I've sort of been putting more time into it and seeing what I can get out of it.
1: Nice. So yeah, I'm definitely, after we get off this, I'm going to sign up for it. That sounds really
0: cool, actually. Daniel's a really nice guy, too. So he's also put out some really good articles. I guess he's focusing more around the Shopify developer community now, Mm -hmm. so building tools for us developers. And he's also writing articles that are really interesting in that space.
1: I think it's cool that the people are starting to cater to Shopify developers specifically now. It's grown to that point, because a few years ago, there was like, no info.
0: No, And I guess it's become a market in itself now. You know, in the past, it's it's a big enough market now. And I guess there's enough successful developers that can spend money on tools that it makes sense. And also, Shopify's opened up possibilities in a sense, because in the past, there was no ads and therefore no way to track these keywords or search what were people searching on. There was no way to sort of surface that. Speaking
1: of, uh, I'm sure you saw this, but attribution has finally come into the ads. Like this week or next week,
0: it hasn't actually trickled through to my ads just yet. I'm hoping to see it very shortly. Yeah, um, and I think that's what I'll sort of spend the next week doing as well—is looking at the ads and if there's anything I can sort of improve there as well. Uh, yeah, you know, time to roll up your sleeves and get into the nitty-gritty details. We've—I've been. Sort of spoiled for a long time, right? In that there's always <laughs> been new customers coming in. And I've put a lot of time and effort into these app store listings and doing them sure. right. But maybe I haven't sort of optimized them enough for specific keywords. I've never Definitely. really written the content looking for specific keywords, at least not as much as I could do, I guess you could say.
1: Basically, the biggest, sort of most successful piece of optimization I did was changing the app name. So Need AB testing was originally called Need AB. And I saw that. A slash B testing was sort of the number one keyword on Shopify around that. So I changed the app name like after like a month to need A, B testing. That was huge. It's funny because I just saw an article recently talking about that specifically is like your app name is the number one thing with search results in Shopify. Their suggestion was to keep it super simple, just like a couple of English words, like even if it's not like a really great app name, you know what I mean? Just something that just dead simple. The app does this.
0: Yeah, and they kind of reject them from being, you know, you're not allowed to list the name as a feature or well, the name can't be a feature. It oh, okay. has to be a name. Yeah. That's why I built Order Printer Pro because people are searching for Order Printer. I also built Order Printer Templates because that's what people were searching for. And that's actually yeah, like you're saying, it's done really well. But you have to be different enough that it sounds like an actual name. Interesting. So,
1: yeah, I don't know why I didn't just try to name it AB testing actually that probably would have been better if they accepted it. <laughs>
0: Yeah right. <laughs> yeah, but the thing I see a lot of as well, because you know, obviously Shopify check all the submissions as they're being approved, but there's very rarely checks once you are approved, right? I think a lot of people are keyword stuffing their their app names now. Definitely, yeah. But um, I'm out of uh, updates. I don't yeah. know if you've got anything else you you want to get off your chest.
1: <laughs> no, no. I think that about does it for me.
0: I'll talk to you again next week.